Hello Kyle, I had a question for you. I am someone who's been surfing for about four years and I have a goal of surfing Mavericks and I know that that's right there in your backyard. So I wanted to know what kind of advice would you give someone who's never surfed a wave bigger than maybe eight foot or so who wants to go and surf Mavericks, what would they do to train and prepare getting ready to go and surf there? What are some things that you would actually recommend that need to be done or accomplished before I would then go and attempt to surf it for the first time. Any advice that you can give, I would appreciate it very much. Thanks and have a great day. Hey man, thank you for sending in that voice memo. Uh, I have a few ideas that I think could be helpful for you. First thing is to write out the reasons why you want to surf Mavericks and be super honest about it. And if you look at those reasons and you think that they are worth pursuing, if it's still a yes from you, then I would take very incremental steps to surf bigger and bigger waves before you paddle out to Mavericks. Because the jump from surfing an 8-foot wave to surfing a 40-foot wave is uh, something that I would not recommend. Um, so this year, I would set the goal to surf maybe a 12-foot wave. Um, and I would train like a goddamn demon um because the thing is if you're surfing waves that are out of your league you're not just putting yourself at risk you're putting other people at risk as well if you go out and, f and fall on a big wave at mavericks someone's gonna have to come in there and save you and you're putting them in danger as well um thankfully there are a lot of waves between you know where you are and mavericks that i think can be great stepping stones before you get there another thing that i would do um so to surf a lot of waves that are just out of your comfort zone um but don't make you feel like you know you really won't be able to handle it um i would also take a big wave risk assessment group course um that's bwrag.com uh brag and these courses will help you learn um, various safety protocols um, while you're out in the water surfing big waves. I think underwater pool training is probably the best, um, the best kind of training for big waves. But I only recommend doing that if you have a buddy with you because uh, shallow water blackout is something that is very easy to have happen. Um, and if you're not and if you don't have someone by your side training with you um i think it's it's too dangerous to do alone um i wish you be the best of luck on your endeavors um and just remember to do it surf for yourself not for anyone else um and you know don't do it to post it on social media um i think that a lot of people unfortunately surf mavericks because they're more interested in the intention that they'll get from surfing a big wave than the act of riding a big wave themselves. Um, and I think that I've also fallen prey to this. It's really easy to get drunk on um, the attention um, and praise for being a quote-unquote big wave surfer. And uh, it's a dangerous place to be. You don't want to be there. So good luck, man. Um, hope that's helpful. Um. 
All right. I'm, I just want to let you know uh, the box of goodies are going out today. Um, so if you ordered a Sex at Dawn box of goodies, there's a box of the, a signed copy of Sex at Dawn, um, mud water, and a can of CBD coconut oil. They will be on your doorstep very, very soon. Uh, there are still a few left. And I also have a few copies of the Psychedelic Explorer's Guide. Uh, they're signed copies by Dr. Jim Fadiman on my website. Um, I will most likely not be doing any more box of goodies after um, I'm finished with these. this. So I think I have 10 more Sex at Dawn copies and 10 more um, uh, Psychedelic Explorers Guide. And these all come with the mud water and the CBD uh, coconut oil at a greatly discounted price on my website, kyle.surf. But when I'm done with that, it'll probably be done forever. Uh, it's just, I, I'm realizing that it's way too much work for just me to try and pull off. And I am so grateful to all of you who have purchased these boxes. Um, it really has supported the podcast, but I'm going to figure out new ways, um, that can get you guys, uh, involved that, uh, don't make me feel like I'm constantly drowning in, uh, inventory and boxes and having my, my room filled with random products doing a little clearing out summer cleaning all right guys um i want to let you know about a new product from santa cruz medicinals that's scmedicinals.com they just came out with a cbd nootropic and rather than flail my way through um, the benefits of these products i'm going to turn it over to a message from their founder brendan rue and he's going to tell you a little bit about this product we designed this product to be the perfect supplement for clean, calm, creative energy and mental focus. I tried about 40 to 50 different brands of nootropics, and what I found with most of them is that they make you jittery due to either too much choline or too much caffeine or caffeine disguised as an ingredient like coffee bean extract, something like that. And what I felt is that most people need calmer energy where they're calm and focused and that's what we designed it for so it contains a bunch of research ingredients that show benefits for cognitive function and overall brain health um, each bottle contains 1500 milligrams of cbd and each capsule contains 25 milligrams of cbd you can use it whenever because it isn't caffeinated or it's not a stimulant at all so i prefer to take about three pills in the morning, uh, but sometimes I do another dose in the evening um, because it doesn't make me jittery or anything. The ingredients are 5-HTP, CDP-choline, acetyl-L-carnitine, alpha-GPC, foreskin, and artichoke extract. And be careful when you say foreskin to not say foreskin because we don't want people thinking we're putting foreskin in our CBD products yet. You heard them, everybody. Chewy foreskin in every single one of these pill bottles. Um, you can go to scmedicinals.com and type in the code word KYLE10 to get 10% off all products. And when you do this, it also shows the guys over at Santa Cruz Medicinals that they're getting a return for sponsoring this podcast. So it's a good way to support the show. Also, shout out to Mudwater, mudwtr.com. Goes great with the CBD coconut oil, and I'll be doing a podcast with uh, their founder, I believe, next week. Okie dokie. Um, with that, 
for those of you who don't know, Simon Rex is an actor. He played the lead in Scary Movies 3, 4, and 5. Uh, he has a number of alter egos, including... Uh, including uh what's his what, tweaker rodrigo check him out on instagram he's typical rick he's hilarious very sweet guy um he was he co-produced the motherfucker awards and is just a real a guy who likes pulling his friends up uh he hooked me up with a an interview with mickey avalon that i'll be doing next week uh down in la and he's just that kind of guy who helps his friends out um and doesn't ask for anything in return Chris Ryan, on the other hand, is just a horrible human. Hateful, selfish, smells bad. Um, just kidding. He's one of my favorite people ever. Um, he's the author of Sex at Dawn. He's the host of Tangentially Speaking, co-creator of the Motherfucker Awards. And I got to take both these guys on their first hunting trip out on the big island of Hawaii. We recorded this around a table in camo gear. And we had a blast. So please welcome to the show, Dr. Chris Ryan and Mr. Simon Rex. Kyle Cameron here. I'm in Cape Town. I was the only journalist in northern Nigeria. Not an adventure until you get lost in Tijuana. You get caught inside by a giant wave, you feel really alone. I love the adventure of waking up and not knowing what will happen and that being my job. I'm standing at a desert oasis right now. A lot of tourists don't see this part of Bali. Smiles and thumbs up. Thumbs up. All right, ladies and gentlemen, this is uh, Dr. For Ryan uh, coming to you from Hawaii with uh, two guys. Well, this is a three-way podcast, Three-Headed Hydra. It's a threesome. It's a threesome. We're going to have a threesome live. Well, not really live. Not really live. Uh, Simon Rex, Nervous Rex here with Kyle Tierman. Kyle Tierman here. Host, Kyle, what's your podcast called? Shut up, Chris. <laughs> I couldn't think of a more clever name. It's called the Kyle Tierman Show. The Kyle Tierman Don't judge a book show. by its cover, Chris. <laughs> You're talking I've to a guy about a who spent the last week trying to figure out what cover to put on my book. Don't judge a podcast by its artwork. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so the Kyle Tierman Show is represent is in the house. Nervous Rex, a uh, a new up and coming podcast. Which is uh, it up and coming if it's already surpassed both of ours? It's probably surpassed both of ours. Not even close in terms, certainly in terms of like uh, notoriety of guests. Who have your your biggest? You've had no way. You've had way bigger. Well, three hundred and fifty, and I've gotten you you those bigger guests. You've gotten them all. (laughs) That's the worst thing about you having a podcast. All the all those fish that used to swim into my nets are getting caught in yours now. We're both going to get them. We both eat the fish. I know we eat the fish. Yeah. Um, But just tell people some of the people you've had. You've had well, like six episodes out. Yeah, six episodes out. Who knows when this will come out? By the end, it might be more. Too short. I just had too short. I just had Hannah Stocking, Rudy Mancuso, uh, Theo Vaughn, you. who am I forgetting? Oh, the um, the guy, the child actor. Uh, oh, right, Josh Peck. Josh Peck, yeah. How could I, I mean, the forgettable Josh Peck. No, <laughs> he's he's amazing. Um, yeah, so you did his podcast. Did he do yours? You did. He his. came out to my place, but we did his podcast. So I don't know. Cool I don't dude. think that's released. I like yet. that guy. Yeah, I like him too. He's he's a nice guy. And I got some uh, Rude Jude. Jude Angelini coming up, which was a great talk. And it was interesting. I've known that guy through social media and texting for a few years. But in, I introduced him to you by way of a dildo landing on his book at my place. 
uh, floppy oh, cocks. That's right. We were playing with floppy cocks at your house because you had a box of floppy cocks. Yeah, the big black ones. Yeah, well, they were all well, they were mostly flesh colored. A lot of well, white small flesh white yeah. cocks. Peach flesh. Yeah, yeah. Do you still have those? When, you, did, when you I, moved, you were downsizing. You were like, which yeah, cocks should I save? <laughs> I did have ones. to downsize yeah. floppy You're like, cocks. Do you want this one? I gave a lot away. Yeah. And it was funny a when I was moving because the uh, old landlord of mine just saw a box of all these penises flopping around. And yeah. it just, I wasn't even going to try to defend myself. And did we ever figure out what the point of those floppy cocks was? They're a gag gift, no pun intended. A gag <laughs> gift. Because they, they, you couldn't use them right. for any sort of self-pleasuring. They're, they're for throwing around and landing on books and meeting new friends. I threw one at Rogan uh, and landed in front of him in a studio Hilarity did not ensue. I don't picture him being the kind of guy who would like a f- floppy cock thrown at him. I was hoping he'd jump up and run away screaming, but he didn't. I have a good floppy cock story. So Chris did a <laughs> podcast with Asa Akira. Can mm-hmm. I just say, which, I don't which, like your floppy cock story beginning with my name. That, I, I don't like I have a floppy cock going. story. Let me tell you about my friend Chris. Yeah. And I got so him also, Akira. I was uh, right. in well, kinda. Santa Monica. I, oh, true. Maybe not. I was in Santa Monica slacklining. It was a bright, sunny day. You're the birds slacker. were chirping. The homeless were about. Mm. I was listening to a, a nice, uh, tranquil podcast. And I had a backpack with my slackline. I hadn't slacklined in a few months, and I reach my hand in and pull out a huge black dildo (laughs) and I have no idea how it got there and I'm in the middle of Santa Monica Park on a bright sunny day with a big black dick in my hand floppy trying to go through my Rolodex like what friend threw this black cock in my backpack it was a black slacker it was and then it uh I finally figured out that it was Chris and then he made me pay it forward to uh Neil Strauss Oh, gave good. a black cock to and, Neil and how did he feel about that? No laughter ensued. No, <laughs> no hilarity ensued. Yeah. What the hell? Hilarity should always ensue. If you guys listen carefully, I don't know if the listeners can hear a stream outside. Let's give it three seconds of stream time. It's birds in a stream out there. I can hear it. I don't know if the you, audio. You guys hear that whale out. in the background too? No, no, I didn't hear that. There's no South whale. Pacific Ocean. Yeah. But we are out here in Hawaii, ladies and gentlemen. We're in Honoka'a. Yes. Honoka'a. Mauka to Makai. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's great. It's jungle, and this is the first sunny day since we've been here. So let's talk about why we're here. What brings three such different gentlemen to Hawaii? Meat. Meat. The uh, absence of... Uh, the absence of coming of age experiences in our culture we've had to find them for ourselves is that what it is we're becoming men out here is that what we're doing i don't really feel that way but no i think that that it's important for people who eat meat to kill one animal and see what it's like i think that's a good experience for most of us and honestly for me i've gotten into hunting just because of the places that it takes me i don't have the motivation to go on hikes out into the middle of nowhere and I just wouldn't make it happen but if you attach some kind of target at the end of that some kind of goal I find that I'm hiking a lot more than I used to and I'm a beach kid so it's all new landscape for me it's Mm. like violent golf yeah (laughs) yeah it's true a lot of walking a lot of you know drinking beer and then occasionally something happens mostly bonding and walking occasional action yeah i dare to say i think we should get hunting carts (laughs) (laughs) white privilege at its finest (laughs) but i I think that's what they do in africa right all the 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 poachers that we love to hate Yeah. Yeah. yeah well it's actually illegal to hunt off of a car 
it's an unfair advantage. But but my scope <laughs> rifle isn't yeah. right. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Unfair advantage? What the fuck? I mean, where does that begin and end? We can talk about that, too, how you guys had bow and arrows, and I was the only one with a gun. And on my first attempt, I, I'm not a gun guy. I never grew up around guns. I've shot very few guns in my life. And I was taken out by our guide, Wayne, who showed us around. You know, he's a local boy. He showed us around. And after you guys went hunting with bow and arrows, he took me up atop the hill as the sun was setting to shoot a boar and in my f I'm not comfortable I've never even shot this gun before first shot 75 80 yards away one shot kill it felt too easy yeah um I felt better I had stabbed a boar in the past in Kauai intimately as the dogs with the GPS collar which isn't fair either held it down technology is definitely a, a factor here but it was a lot more intimate when you well, maybe like a murderer would say, I prefer to kill a man with a knife than shoot him. It's so much more intimate. It's what it feels like. Yeah, closing yeah. the gap. The difference between shooting an animal at 100 yards and shooting an animal at 20 yards is a big difference. It's not some little dot on the horizon. Um, but it's funny what you're saying about what's an unfair advantage because a lot of these bows now are more technically advanced in some senses than rifles that have been around. You know, and basically the technology hasn't changed for a hundred years. So we get bows to a point where now, you know, you have a, uh, a level on it. You have some people even have little like lasers on their bows. There's so much technical advantage, but you get it to a point where you're like, is this still difficult enough for me to have a good time doing it? The premise there being something needs the, to be difficult for no, you to have a good time. I think so. And also that as humans, we like to push as far as we can up to the border of breaking the rules. Whatever rule we set for ourselves, we're going to try and scoot up to that border. We're not gonna, just going to use a recurve. We're going to use some compound bow with every advantage we can without using a rifle. Does that Makes make sense? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess some people f think that way. I I don't. I, I feel like that argument could be turned inside out as well. Like you say, we as humans like to push the limits and all. Why are we using bows then? Why aren't we using you know fucking machine guns or slingshots? I, I think mean, they're more fun. I I would say it was the bows and arrows are more fun to me. Having shot both, yeah. guns scary. Yeah, it. Some scary about guns to me. Uh, loud. It could. It just feels more. Something yeah. bad could happen at any moment. Even though you had your arrows fly everywhere as we hopped the fence, <laughs> a violent manner. Oh sure, tell the world. Uh, tell the world, Simon. I almost lost a head. Yeah, I almost lost. Were you guys around guns as kids? Nope. Uh, I was intermittently. Yeah, I grew up until I was 15 in Western Pennsylvania, which is big deer hunting area. So all my friends had guns. We went out in the woods with 22s and BB guns all the time. I'm from San Francisco. It's not really a gun city part of the culture there, unless you're from certain neighborhoods, which I wasn't. I had a gun pointed at me. I had a couple of guns pointed at me in my life. One of the times I had a gun pointed at me, it actually touched my stomach. I was coming out of the Guitar Center in Los Angeles, and it's, it has this sort of area that goes in towards the door about 10 feet and I was walking out onto Sunset Boulevard and I made a left and I felt a cold barrel touch my stomach and I folded over and I looked up and I made eye contact with the Brinks security guy who had his gun out what the right fuck? here at his waist as they were transporting money and this was what in the, the 90s fuck? it was 
and the gun touched my stomach and we both locked eyes like deers wide-eyed and I just fell down I was shaking I went into shock and he just shook his head and walked away like I did something wrong he had his gun out and it touched my stomach like Mm -hmm. through my shirt and I just folded over it I got a weird thing with guns I don't and I had a gun pointed at my head in San Francisco between two guys over a parking spot as a kid and the guy said move out of the way kid or I'll blow your fucking head off that's what they say in the 80s it was very dirty hairy (laughs) and I don't remember but my mother told me the story and I froze and someone had to pull me out of the way and it's guys were arguing over a parking spot my dad's a full hippie but he's from the south so he always had a gun in the house but he never let me he didn't live in san francisco he was elsewhere and he never let me play with it or use it so i'm not a gun guy not a gun guy i don't like them they scare me too much shit could go wrong like if i had one more bad will come than good yeah I feel, and that's a mathematical well, that's truth. A th- well, mathematically, that's one of those statistics you hear that you're more likely to kill yourself or your girlfriend than an intruder if you have a gun. But I always think about that. You know, that's one of those things that applies maybe to most people, but I feel perhaps uh, delusionally it doesn't apply to me. I've never, like I get in a fight with my wife or a woman I live with or something, I don't throw shit. I don't hit her. I don't break windows. I don't punch walls. I know people do that, and those people shouldn't have guns because they lose control of their anger. I don't. Just like, I mean, I've said this on the podcast before and gotten all sorts of trouble. I'll say it again. I think you should be able to take a test to show that you are capable of driving above average with a few beers at a certain blood alcohol level. If you can do it, you should be able to do it. And I don't, I don't, I don't agree that there are these laws that apply to everyone and lowest common denominator. You have to live with it. We're perfectly capable. I've got a sticker on my driver's license saying I'm an organ donor. Why can't there be a sticker on there saying this guy drives perfectly well with three beers? Why not? I guess that argument could be said the same for if you see some 95-year-old person driving, why aren't they tested? They're probably more dangerous than you with four beers. Exactly. Well, and they are, actually. They get tested every year above a certain age. Oh, they do get tested. So there's a stat that says you are more likely to kill yourself than others with a rifle or with a gun. Right. Does that apply to suicides? I wonder if yeah, the stat yeah. is oh, skewed because more people, is, I mean, people yeah. don't talk about gun violence and, and, and how much of it, you know, the numbers of deaths apply to people who put the gun at their head. Right. Well, and the idea is you, you know, if, if you have a really fucking bad day and you feel like killing yourself, if you've got a gun in the drawer, you're more likely to do it than if you got to like, what are you going to do? Go like stick your head in a trash can or, you know, run the car in the garage. The more elaborate and the longer it takes to set something up, the less likely you are to go through with it. Right. I guess that's the thinking there. How do you feel about gun control laws? Do you think that it should be applied to different kinds of people? I mean, there's a big push now for more psych tests before you can get a firearm. I think if you have uh, any legal history of violence, you shouldn't have access to a weapon, to a gun anyway. You know, what? I don't know what the stats are, but they're shocking how many men who kill their partners have uh, legal history of domestic abuse. Right. Like the cops have been called to the house repeatedly and then he finally shoots her. Like That's ridiculous. You know, if you're beating up your wife, you don't get a gun, dude. Sorry. Yeah, I agree. If you're beating up anyone. Right. If you're getting into fights like who fights? Have you guys when's the last time you guys have been in a fist fight? Uh, I've been in one in the last decade and it was self-defense. Yeah. 
Dude, I've avoided so many fights. Probably every one of my friends growing up in Santa Cruz has gotten, maybe not everyone, but 90% of them got into fights. And a lot of them are real fun, charismatic, over-the-top, like just happy guys, but you get a few drinks in them and something flips. And I've come so close to so many, but I've just always been very okay letting the other guy have it. Like, dude, you know these- what? You're the man. Right. I'm going to leave. Totally cool. This right. is your I, same with surfing. You know, there's localism in certain spots, surfing, and and sometimes someone will get angry at you. It's not worth it for me to do have a get into a pissing contest with him. I've always yeah. been willing to just get in the car and go home. Because, I mean, you told me something that I've thought about a lot because I was we were talking about uh, martial arts, and you said the way to think about it is if you're going to engage in a physical altercation, be ready to kill the other person. Because that can so easily happen. Yeah, even by accident. I mean, I have, a, fr- I have a friend who um, was getting drunk uh, downtown at one point, had a few drinks. The bouncer was an asshole to him, socked the guy in the face, the bouncer. It detached his retina, the, the bouncer's retina. The bouncer sued him and uh, put my friend in jail for a year. It's just not cute anymore. When you're in your 20s, it starts to get not cute. And then in your 30s, it's like, okay. In your 40s, it's like if you can't control your emotions at that point and, and walk away or even be in, the, in an environment where that's going to happen, it's just, like you said, it gets you, the injuries of you even just getting kicked on the ground are a lot more severe when you're 44 than when you're 22. You ain't bouncing back. Your cells ain't reproducing as fast. You're just not going to heal from a fall as quick or anything. It just gets scarier, I think. Yeah. When you're young, you just don't think about, I don't know, for me. Yeah, but I think that also be, being okay with, with giving it away, not, not having that machismo gets easier as you get older. I mean, in, in, when I was a high school, in high school, you'd get called a bitch if you'd back out of a fight, you know, and it turned into this big social thing where it's not just between you and the other person. Like in schoolyard days, it would be a whole crowd and they'd come around and you'd feel like your entire identity was on the line. It was at the time because your world was that high school and you had to, yeah, that's, but some people carry that on into the real world and I don't think that plays out as well. Yeah, I think I, I sort of skipped all that shit. You know, because I went to three different high schools, so I didn't have, I didn't have to prove myself in the same way that you're talking about. Like I didn't have, I wasn't embedded in that community, so I never really gave a shit what people thought of me because I'd be gone in a year anyway, or I had just arrived. So like what you're talking about, like wait till your 40s. Like I did martial arts, and my my teacher killed his father. You know, so I when I was yeah, fifteen, story was crazy. So like very early on, I was like, "Fuck this shit!" I've been learning to do, like this isn't just fun. This is, I mean, like in kung fu, you're there's eye gouges and there's a lot of like really nasty, open handed shit. I did kung fu for a couple of months. That was uh, intense. Even just the training, mm. uh, taking the iron thing to your shins and forearms. No, and, I didn't do that. Yeah, to build up the. Cal- uh, the calcium deposit in there what would it be you know you make oh. your shin bone stronger oh, I remember really? there was a really tough yeah. guy in my class wow. yeah there's a balance that. that I don't know that I've necessarily found between backing out and not needing to engage in a, a physical altercation you know giving it away but also not being a pushover you know really standing up for yourself in other situations whether that's you know in a business decision or mm. standing you know 
owning yourself and 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 showing up and asking for what you really want right you know i don't know what that balance is but you see people so often move too far to one direction or the other you know they're they're well, afraid and then yeah. they're and they they take that fearful mindset into all of their life or they're aggressive and they take that aggressive mindset into all of their life and i don't but think either is healthy isn't the key though to recognize that physical world and other non-physical stuff are two totally different realms so you can say like i'm never gonna fight unless my life is on the line or you know someone's attacking a woman i'm with or a child, you know, but in business, I learn more about that kind of assertiveness, really interpersonal assertiveness and like business, like negotiating assertiveness. I learned a lot uh, in poker, playing poker regularly, like learning how to be like, no, fuck it. I'm going to win this hand and bluff it and like, or be willing to lose. But I got a good hand here, you know, like that uh sort of like unapologetic stand your ground thing in poker can work really well also if you ever need to bluff it's good to have a reputation for not bluffing this is gonna sound silly but do you know a game i've been playing a lot that i think is also helpful for that is settlers of Catan. you guys ever play that game Never it's like it, it. it's about it's fucking radical it's a board game and there's sheep and or it's all about gaining resources and territory and it's the, one of these games where it's hard to understand i'm not going to go through the rules of it for like 10 minutes and then all of a someone, sudden someone takes all of your sheep and you're like you motherfucker you're gonna die and it goes on for like three hours but it teaches a lot of that business mindset that's really helpful can i go backwards a little bit yeah. i'll play settlers of Catan another time is that what it's called Yes. I can't believe I remembered that. I have the memory of a sheep, speaking of. Wait, actually, sheeps have good memories? That was a bad joke. Oh, dude. <laughs> I just hit stop right there. Going backwards a little bit about, if you were to see a woman on the street getting uh, beat up by her boyfriend, would you interfere? And before you answer, let me say this. Actually, no, answer, and then I'm going to tell you what I think. Would you interfere if you saw some guy getting physical with his girlfriend? Is that your position to get involved? Uh, it's a tricky I, one. I would probably say, hey, dude, back off and uh, attract attention. Call 911. You okay. know, I would I wouldn't like jump in there and grab. OK, him, fair. But, but I I'd, uh, I'd like start trying to distract. Him. You know why? Because I've seen it happen. This is what happens. She she, she, she hits you, you with the fucking purse. Yeah. Stay out of their fucking business. But yeah. I think what you just said is the happy medium. Yeah. And if I ever open a psychic store, it's going to be called happy medium. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Yeah, That's good. it's a hard question to have, man. I mean, to answer, I'm the youngest of five, and women, you know, youngest of five, yeah, women. It's time to no, make I've a funny turn, guys. Two big, yeah, we gotta turn this on. Um, yeah, t two brothers, two sisters. So a lot of times, I would be kind of subservient to them. If there was a situation that was going to go down, it was going to be my older brother was that was going to handle it, and I've had to learn to decide that I was going to be the person to step up in that situation. It's kind of like taking a first responder course and deciding that you're going to be the person in the restaurant if someone falls down to start doing CPR and making that decision beforehand. Uh, I, and I've, yeah, it's, it, there are those situations where you feel that flash of heat come over you. Oh, yeah, I felt that flash. To, to act in those moments. Is that a run complex? And before you answer that, if I opened a sandwich place, it would be called subservient. Now let's continue <laughs> on. If I open a cafe, it's going to be called Grounds for Divorce. Oh, I like it oh, for single people yeah. to drink coffee. I like that. <laughs> Place to have an affair. Yeah. It's a coffee affair. Yeah. Hey. No, I think at this point in my life, I would, 
I would absolutely get involved. I actually had a situation like that happen recently. I was up in a wedding in middle of California where you're like, is this fucking California? I do not feel like I'm in California anymore. And there was one pizza spot open. I was with my girlfriend and this dude who was a dancer. My girlfriend's a dancer and he is a very feminine fellow. Straight or gay? Not that mm, it matters, just hard, curious. Hard to say. Okay. But also it was, uh, was a fairly annoying guy, like one of those one of those people that doesn't uh, understand when to stop shutting, uh, talking, and mm. he, we gave him a ride up there um, to this wedding. We're at this pizza spot. This homeless guy, my girl, and my girlfriend's mixed race. She's darker skin. This homeless guy walks up to us, looks at her, and goes, fucking niggers. And we all pause, and the dancer kid just starts pacing like away from us i'm like this motherfucker does not have our back right now and the drunk homeless guy sits down in a chair and he has a skateboard with him and i look at him and he looks at me and he kind of goes back down into his little stupor and then he comes back and he tries to start talking to us like where are you guys from you know this is my town we're like i'm like yeah man this is your spot it's all good but dude i felt this like Heat and this rage come over I me. See it and my, out dude, my girlfriend was right behind me, and I got up in in front of her, and I was like, "I'm gonna get this guy's skate, skateboard. I'm gonna fucking kill him if he comes after me." And I've, I'm so well balanced. Like I, do, I feel, and I get into a lot of intense situations where I feel like I can navigate it. And I don't think I've ever had that feeling of rage. Like, I, I'm not going to stop if he comes after me. And it was the protector rage. It wasn't that it was, he was hurting my egos. That, it, that I felt that my girlfriend was in physical danger. Luckily, our pizza came. This, the dancer dude went back into the car. I told him to take my girlfriend back into the car just kind of slowly as this drunk guy was sitting down. And we got in the car and drove away before he could kind of realize See, what was happening. if you did anything, I, I'd have to say you should have let that one go. I know as mad as you got because you'll never win that one right. with a drunk, homeless guy. Well, that's the thing is I, I, wasn't going to, I wasn't going to engage unless he made a move. Like right. unless he was going to become but you were violent. Ready. But I was Fair ready. Fair enough. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. yeah. Last time I, I felt rage like that was when a guy almost killed me and Casilda on my motorcycle. In, in Spain? Yeah, in Spain. He, uh, it, I won't get into the whole thing, but basically it was late at night and he was moving his car from one side of the street to the other because the parking changed, you know, at six in the morning or something. So I, I was cruising behind this line of cars, a bunch of cars, and the lights are synchronized. So it was just cruise down this hill. And somehow he didn't see us behind this group of cars. So the cars went by, and then he really quickly went from the left side of this three-lane street straight across to the right, where there was an, uh, an empty parking thing. And I was in the right lane, and I, he did it so fast, I couldn't swerve left. The only place, I hit the horn, he stopped. His, the nose of his car was at the center of this parking space. And somehow I swerved in and out of the parking space wow. around the nose of his car. Yeah. And luckily, Casilda melted into my back. She didn't freak at all. She just became part of my body. Right. So the, the whole maneuver worked. Um, and I, I stopped. And there were all these people on the sidewalk who saw it happen. And I turned off the bike. I got off the bike. And I was wearing a leather jacket, gloves, and a helmet. So... I was going to beat the piss out of this guy. And, the, and he could have hit me 
you can punch me as hard as you want. I don't care. I'm wearing leather mm-hmm. and a helmet. And it's like wearable PCP. Yeah, exactly. It was like I was wearing armor. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and I, my adrenaline was just fucking overload. And I got out, and he got out of his car, and he dropped to his knees. And he said, Sucked forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. I'm so sorry. I'm so oh, sorry. That was a good, fair enough. Well played. Fair so enough. So I kicked him in the <laughs> face and I stomped him. <laughs> so he was already down, so I figured. And I took his car and his girlfriend was in it. Nice. Yeah. You said beat the piss out of him. It's weird how you fuck the shit out of someone, but you beat the piss out of someone. I wonder if you could fuck the piss out of someone, but I guess not because the penis and vagina would be connected, so it could get weird. Although some people are into that. <laughs> I fucked the vomit out of. I beat the vomit out of. I the shit out but of why? Why did we choose going. one? Yeah, this yeah. is this is a road. I'm I mean, you do enough podcasts, you see where the road goes. But you could say I beat the shit it. out of them too, right? I mean, that's yeah, a that's common. True. That's thing. fair enough. Well, there's an important lesson that, that I think you, you have to hit harder to beat the piss out of someone. <laughs> there's an important lesson in the story that you told, which is relaxation in those moments of intensity. You said that Casilda just relaxed into your arms, and if she hadn't, you wouldn't have been able to maneuver in that way. Yeah, I often would recount that to her as a sort of a, a lesson, uh, because it is. And her, like, she's an anxious person. And so sometimes in social situations or something, she reacts with anxiety, and I'll say to her, remember the motorcycle, right? Like, you were safe in your calm. That's where you find safety. Not in anxiety, in calm. You've talked about this. Yeah, and I tried, I t- taught her to swim, right? And it's the same thing. It's like the more uptight you are in the water, the more you start sinking. If you can relax in the water and get your rhythm and be comfortable and be cool, then you'll be all right. Same. But if you panic, you're done. I learned that valuable lesson when I took jujitsu. I did it for a year, and the f- the legend Helio Gracie, who is the grandfather of all the Gracies and the father and grandfather of all the Gracies, Helio. He's the little Brazilian guy that started it, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And I got to train in front of him right before he passed away. He was 92 years old and I had been studying for a year and I trained what I learned in front of him in a private room. And thank you. And the one note he had after five minutes of showing what I learned after a year was in Portuguese, he told Henner Gracie, who's training me, he said, he's great, he knows all the moves, he just needs to relax. And that was, that was applied to that as well. So he taught me afterwards, is anytime we were rolling and doing jujitsu, he, he would say, just tell me what you did today while I was choking him out to relax. He'd say, tell me what you did today. Oh, I went to the store, I got some groceries, I drove down here, and he's like, I could already feel you relaxing into it. Mm. Get out of your head. Still working on so that. So many things, I, I mean, sort of jokingly, sex too, right? I mean, yeah. if you, as a man, if you lose your concentration you start to lose your heart on if you if you start freaking out like oh you know performance anxiety and she's going to judge me and this is going to happen and that's going to happen then you're done whereas if you just chill out and don't worry about it then everything's fine it's like that with everything i mean i don't dance but i imagine it's the same with dancing or or laughing in the face of anything is a big one i learned that one too Mm. i remember i got in a road rage incident with this woman who just was freaking out and she pulled up and she's pulling her hair and screaming and ah and i just looked at her and i pointed at her and i laughed and she realized what she was doing she stopped she laughed at herself and we both went on our way i said Uh, wow that's that's it that's a beautiful if you could laugh in the face of of someone freaking out it kind of puts it might not work with a dude maybe not Ah! 
Yeah. You're so angry right now. You mad. You mad. Right. Well, you know what the difference is that we're talking about here is breath. Whether mm. you're in the jujitsu studio, you're able to breathe and exhale. In the moment where you're on the scooter, I'll bet you Casilda was able to breathe and exhale. She didn't <gasps> tighten up. Right. Laughter. All of a sudden, you're getting people breathing. You know, and, and that is something that's worth mastering. People breath. who can master yeah. the breath, they can master that, that moment of space between the thought coming in and reactivity. Andrew Weil makes a point in one of his books uh, that he says breath is the bridge between the sympathetic and the parasympathetic nervous system. So in other words, breath is a thing that we do um, voluntarily and, and when it, we stop doing it voluntarily, right. it happens. It's like blinking our eyes. Right. Oh, oh yeah. there's another one. Right. Okay, good. I hadn't thought of that, but you're right. The other one I thought of is like erections. You can get an erection on purpose, or it can just happen when you're sleeping or whatever. You or know? on airplanes. Or you could get one on porpoise if you're in the water. But that's a <laughs> hole, a hole in the top of the animal. <laughs> a blowhole job. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, I just had something to connect to well, breath But yeah, is... breathing is so important You're right But it's something that's very easy to ignore Because it does happen, happen automatically But the power that can come from mastering it yeah. Is immense And also the You know, people talk about hunting Like we all, all of a sudden when you're out on your own Looking for an animal Your senses are heightened You can hear more You can see more You're more keenly aware of your surroundings Similarly, if you take a, a breath-holding course, for example, every person in this listening to this podcast, after two days of training, could hold a, their breath for four minutes. We are designed to be able to hold our breath for a long time, to be able to dive down to 60 feet. Every person listening to this podcast, after two days of training, could dive down to 60 feet. Except for Greg, who's listening. Greg, you and my yeah. mom. Right. But... It's rare that you have that kind of increase in such a short period of time. You know, mm. you don't, you can't get someone who can run a half a mile to all of a sudden start running twenty miles right. after two days. It's built right. into us. Just yeah, right. tap into it. Huh? And you can hold your breath for what? Five minutes? The longest I ever held my breath for was five minutes. There's a uh, program called Performance Free Diving International, and it's I highly recommend it. It's a three-day course, and they teach you how to hold your breath for a really long time. Even simple tricks like stretching your diaphragm before you hold your breath is huge because your 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 diaphragm but will it still fit over the cervix properly. Yeah. Sorry, that was, that was a Simon joke. <laughs> Beat me to but, it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but why are, so uh, why are air and breath? Uh, what what do air and what what do air and sex have in common? They're no big deal until you're not getting any. Mm. Mm. Yeah, and food. Although I've been getting more air and less sex lately, and I'm okay. I think it's just uh, my age. I've been the least horny I've ever been, and I'm okay. I'm not out there like I'm okay being with you dudes. There was a time in my life where I'm would think oh shit five days out in the middle of nowhere i gotta go to the bar and see some action i don't give a fuck hmm. it's kind of scary and empowering at the same time you but saw bit, some action the other night when you were doing karaoke, karaoke. <laughs> yeah there was a lot she of people all off. a lot was, of girls wanted to do a duet there was a couple of scragglers <laughs> m- mulling about is that the mulling right? about what's yeah. mulling is that kind of just scrumming or what is a just mulling? hanging around i think mulling around. Around. think about this where did the term who's the first person to say just hanging out it almost seems like that was a mistake and someone said hey that sounds cool for just sitting around we're hanging out like your balls yeah. well, maybe it was a or, sexual thing or maybe like monkeys 
Because they're always hanging. Uh, right? they, of course, leave so it to Chris to bring it to the primate resource. Bring it to the primates. Yeah, it's monkey yeah. dicks. It's all I know. Uh, it's my shtick. Yeah. You, you're kind of going through a, a great transformation. It's weird. Dirt nasty. You're, you're dirt reading. Nam- it's dirt namaste now. Dirt namaste. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you're, this is it. Yeah, it's, it's you're, you're reading Civil Disobedience by I'm Walden. You're it. doing breath work. You're taking. Uh, Silent meditation hiatuses. No, we're, you just did that. I wanted to. I did, do it. but you, we, you did a, a, oh, a little minutes. one. <laughs> did a we're all at breakfast. We're all at breakfast. We order pancakes says, and Simon. And Simon says, "Okay, Siri, remind me to, like a talk again in five minutes." <laughs> <laughs> Guys, I'm gonna take a five-minute five vow of silence. silence. And it yeah. was t- it was tough. There was several times I wanted to interject and talk you, with you. You guys. did. You just wrote it you on text, your phone yeah, and showed it, it to you. us. <laughs> and it was the most important thing. We we ordered pancakes, and Chris is like, "I never get pancakes. They're so stupid." And Simon's like, <laughs> pointing his finger up, and then he puts his phone up. Pancakes are Our like breakfast, breakfast dessert, dessert. Yeah. which is a good <laughs> point. Really happy you said that, it's Simon. A good point. Yeah. I, I was proud of myself for thinking that. I never thought pancakes are breakfast dessert. Even better, the central dish around. This, this morning, Simon and I were having coffee, and Simon's like, I'm going to take an, a one-hour vow of silence. <laughs> <laughs> like, okay, cool, man, right on. He's like, so if I don't answer you for anything, it's just one hour, I'll be back. Yeah. I go up, he goes upstairs, 20 minutes in, I hear, I'll suck you dick. <laughs> <laughs> He's doing, I, I thought it was uh, Tweaker Rodrigo. It's like, oh, so Tweaker doesn't isn't included in the one hour of silence. Yeah, if Tweaker count. emerges, he gets a pass, right? Yeah, he's got to come out soon. He's uh, for those listening. He's a character that I do that people seem to like. I got to do more Tweaker Rodrigos. But I was telling Chris yesterday, I don't choose when he comes out. He channels through me like a. Hindu god or something. <laughs> that, that could be really like awkward if you're like on a date with yeah. a woman or you know a cop's pulled you over for speed. I could control you, it. Oh, you I can, could you stop can, it. Oh, okay. but if someone says, "Hey, do Tweaker Rodrigo," it uh, doesn't work. You can't that way. pull it up, but nah. you can keep it down. He's just in there. He's a part of me. Right. Right. When did, did did that character like? Did you work him out, or did it just happen one day in the mirror? And you're like, oh, that's no, I was funny. a filter that I used, which I won't say what it is, but I took a, a famous '80s movie character and put the filter on my face, which is on an app called Snapchat, which I used to use and no longer do. And I put the filter on my face, and when I saw myself with this face, the voice came naturally, and I did a character who was high on methamphetamine, and I posted it, and it did alarmingly well. And I right. realized, oh, everybody knows that guy, or was that guy, or is that guy. I know right. someone in their neighborhood who's a Rodrigo, and it just seemed to connect really well. So and it's it just not happened. far from you, too, because you've got right. that manic kind of energy anyway. The thought process is as fast. So when I talk right. as fast as I do, I really think at that speed, and yeah. I have to make a conscious effort to not talk that fast right, right now. Because right. right now my brain's going, yeah. which is why I meditate. And, and why those dick. porpoise jokes come right. out. Yeah. You're it's a gift it and a curse. It's a gift and a curse. How often have you had to work out characters? Well, the good thing about social media is you just try them, put them up, and see what works. I've, I remember I did one that I thought was hilarious called Ingve, who was a Swedish uh, instructor who worked out in, in sexual manners and had a blonde wing and oh, would yeah. work out. I remember that one yeah, with it the, that super hot woman. Oh, I did? Yeah. No, that's a different one. That's Brother Earth. Oh, Brother Earth. So Ingve was a character I did on Vine years ago that I was laughing at hysterically. And and you could actually see a meter of what does well and bad. And my numbers went down with Ingve. But then they went up with my gay twin, Steven, or with um, all these other characters that I did. So you just see what works. What about the one with the, with the, the whiny wife and you have your arguments in bed? 
And you oh, never invisible girlfriend. Yeah, yeah, those do pretty well too. <laughs> it's interesting. It's sort of the ones that, I, like anything in comedy, if it's it's like the Seinfeld thing. Do a joke about peanuts on the airplane. Everyone's like, yeah, of course. I hate those. Pe-. You connect with something that's a truth, yeah, right. and it seems to work better than it just being funny on its own. Right. People need to say, oh, I know that. Yeah. I have that girlfriend. I know that tweaker. It helps. And uh, yeah, I just experiment well, with that. The that's tweaker the one's of- so funny, too, because you're not sure if you should be laughing at it. Like, that's the funniest joke is it's kind of risque. You're like, ooh, are you, are you punching down at a tweaker? But you nail it so well right. that are everyone we knows. Right, addiction here? Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. Where, like, it might not be as funny if you were the millionaire, you know, cliche guy because it's just so it's kind of played out it's weird comedy subjective but it definitely reaches uh a certain amount of people and that's what you know works and i shouldn't do it based on what works i should just do it on what i like because that's usually how making music or doing anything works you put out your art that you like and if they come they come you don't do it for them you don't say hey guys is this good that doesn't i don't like doing it that way but that is a good thing about social media is it just becomes this proving ground yeah, but I mean, I know that's the ideal for artists to just do what they want to do and, you know, the audience is either on board or they're not. But is that real? I mean, don't. I mean, Van Gogh would have loved to have sold more paintings, wouldn't he? he I mean, was, and he was crazy, so he might not be, a, you know. A was he famous while he was alive? No. See, most artists aren't. No, so. but don't most. I mean. No, no, put it oh, on top of your yeah. shirt. Okay. Yeah, I just don't want to mess up their books. Okay. We're, we're in an Airbnb with uh, drinks on a table here. Um, but uh, the th- that ideal of like the artist does things for him or herself with no thought to the the market. I feel like that's that's an ideal that's created that isn't real. Well, and there, there may be a few, but I think in general, artists want to sell their shit and they want to make a living and they want to be appreciated. Here's the weirdest thing for me and is what I've noticed is when I do music as my character, Dirt Nasty, when I drive home and listen to a song that I made almost every time down the line, if I don't like it, it does really well. Unbelievable. I drove home with my song 1980 and thought I'm not even putting this on my album. That's my biggest song. I made the song My Dick in five minutes to shut up my friend. We wrote it in an hour. We did it with a microphone with a sock on it. We did the whole song in two hours, put it out. I didn't even like it. Platinum. Then I'll sit there with the producer and, yeah, we're going to make a hit. And nope, nothing. What's that so, mean? You have shitty taste in I music? I think so. Either that or, <laughs> or just in your I don't own know music. shit. And just put it out and see what works and don't not put something out based on what you think is good. You know, if you like it. But then how do you write a song that you're not going to like? Well, I just I think I just put I just do anything. It's not that I don't I don't make it going into it going. I'm not going to like it. I just make a bunch of stuff, listen back to it and often work with other producers who, you know, sometimes you have to bend over backwards a little bit and say okay you want to do a song about my dick let's do it i don't think it's a good idea but let's do it and you have to be flexible and open-minded otherwise that's a perfect example or my friend made the beat for 1980 and i think this is a disco song this isn't a hip-hop song this isn't gonna work how wrong i was well it's important that you have the self-critic i I was talking to um the journalist Matt Taibbi about this. He's a huge fan of Hunter S. Thompson. He said that um, the book on the campaign trail uh, of 74, you could tell was a highly amphetamine-fueled book. There were a lot of these long passages. He's very confident in himself. And he said, amphetamines can be great for writing, but you lose the self-critic. So for you to be listening to 1980 and be like, ah, this isn't that good is really important because you don't want to get drunk on it. 
the self-critic, he was good to ignore the self-critic in this case. And also, right? to t talk about doing uh, amphetamines while writing, often, too, what I used to do is when I'd make music, producing, just making a beat, I'd make it, then I'd smoke weed and listen to it back and notice it differently and have stoner ears and listen, oh, I actually do this. So you mm. sort of approach it from two different angles, which mm. I think you could probably do with whatever you're I've done that poised. with writing. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely read it, it with a, a buzz tool. and you see opportunities for creativity that you missed earlier. That's what it you, should you be used for, not just sitting around getting loaded. You it's can really hard it. for me to write high, but right. I can read high and see subtleties and make notes for later to restructure something. What do you think about now? If, you, if you're driving down the street and the song 1980 comes on what are the thoughts that go through your mind is it heart is it like cringing for you or it, you, it always is yeah. i don't like listening to myself on a podcast or my if someone puts on my music i'm like turn that shit off man it's fun to make it and it's fun to go perform it live as far as listening to it I, I'm, I don't like I don't even like listening to it right after I make it it's done and over and then you have to mix an album for a month and you listen to the song over and over by the time it comes out I don't ever want to hear it again Yeah. and everyone else it's new to them it's like you were talking about editing your book you're fucking over it yeah. by the time it comes out it's old news you're on to yeah. your next book it's the same thing even yeah. on a shorter term yeah. Johnny, so De you, Johnny Depp doesn't watch his own movies probably a good That's, idea at this point <laughs> 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 neither does anyone else um, the uh, when you did the video for 1980, was that long after? Was that already a, a hit? Because you put a lot of effort into that video. Yeah. Um, well, I got to credit Nick Goosen who directed that one because he really uh, and Nick Swartzen who came up with the famous became a, a meme actually is snorting the straw on the rollerblades in a huge mound with a yeah. ten foot, a five foot straw. Yeah. Um, that's one of those things that just came together. Sometimes it's the perfect storm. You could do a video that complements the song. You could do one that ruins it. It, it. it just, one of those things that just worked. The song worked, the topic worked, the beat worked, the video worked. It all worked and people still like it. So sometimes so, it just happens. I but don't know. I mean, what I'm asking is like, was the song already a hit when you did the video so you knew it would be worthwhile to invest the time? My manager and everyone around said, dude, that's maybe the single on this album of 10 songs. That's the hit. And uh, I said, all right, I'll trust you guys. Okay. I don't know. And all we right. just made a video for right. it. Up. I just trusted everyone else around me. Right. So you need a good circle of friends that you trust. Right. Do you feel like you... Is that fortuitous? Not by design? Is that what that means? Yeah. Fortuitous is like lucky. Right. Yeah. Fortune. Yeah. Good fortune. I remember one time we were up at Chris's and, and you were there and Neil Strauss was there and you guys started talking about music and it sounded like another fucking language to me. Like the, the nuance that you could pick out in new music that I had no idea about. It was really interesting to well, listen to. Who was to. talking? Me and Chris? You, and you were talking to Neil Strauss, uh -huh. but Chris, you're the same way. I mean, you're a, 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 become very academic when it comes to music. Well, not not the musical part, right? You know, like I watch maybe these, academic isn't the right. I, word. I watch Rick Beato. You've seen his stuff, right? The oh. what makes this song great? No, yeah, I, I've fantastic. But I mean, heard he's talking you. about you know this is uh you know this is chord progression is you know in this G major with a fifth and a ninth and I don't even know I have no idea what he's talking about. But I I'm really into the poetry, you know, and I'm in I'm into the culture of it. It's like the way like what I said about poker before. I really like poker, but I don't. I don't follow the numbers. So most guys who play poker, and I don't play Texas Hold'em because that's all numbers, but they'll remember like, oh, wait, now the, a, a queen of diamonds has already been played. So the chances of him having a straight with another queen or, you know, this. And so they'll do all the odds. I can't do any of that. With me, it's all who's lying, who isn't, 
who's bluffing. You know, it's all psychology. And but I think, your game we did in the car last night was exactly that. And I suck at it. Okay. Yeah, you okay. guys were just learning it. But oh, how does that amazing. relate to music? With music, it's the same. Like, I don't understand music technically at all. Like, I couldn't tell you what key a song is I don't is either. In. I just hunt and peck like a keyboard. I don't really? Know, I don't know how to read music. I was sent to piano lessons by this guy who signed us for a publishing deal who wanted me to learn how to play piano, and I went to two lessons, and I said, fuck this. I'd rather just make beats by what I hear, hear my, in my ear and just use a computer and a drum machine, and that's where it, uh, maybe that was lazy, but I didn't feel I needed to learn. I'll, I'll hire a guy to come lay down some piano keys and or use a friend who's musically right. talented at guitar bringing a guy who plays guitar so you know I'm just what gonna, you want to hear i just hear the beat and i make it on a computer and a drum machine which right. is just the fun part and then i'll add some layers and say hey come add a guitar riff on here beardo my friend who's a genius on guitar right kind of know your lane stick to it and you can add the other elements around it you right. know? did you have influences uh when you were getting into music i just i think just growing up on two short boogie down productions nw i just had an ear for what i liked which was the music that my mom said turn that shit off is what i wanted to make <laughs> yeah so that was my goal. I said, I want to make music that people's mom will say, turn that shit off. And I did. And you now I'm like, turn that shit off. Now I'm the mom. <laughs> no. So it's fucking I, a mission accomplished, but I created a monster. You, you know? know that line from uh, Wish You Were Here? You bought a guitar to punish your mom. No. What's you didn't wish, like school, no. but you know you're nobody's fool. So well, wish you were, to oh, the Oh, is machine. that Pink Floyd? Yeah, yeah. No, this is the, just the line, you bought a guitar to punish your mom. Uh, you know? Right, like That's yeah, how it thing. all got started. Right, right. Yeah. That's, it, that's it. The amount that you can say in music is really interesting to mm. me, that, that you couldn't say straight up. It's like comedy. You can say, you can be more bold when you put it into a joke. It's like yeah. that line, better make it funny or else they'll kill you or right. something like that. I think similarly with music, if you look at the, the anthems for civil disobedience movements, it came through lyrics and songs and although i can't play any instruments that is really fascinating that, that we as a species want this kind of beat that many times bring you know it can bring down an entire regime sure yeah it definitely resonates with us on a deeply animalistic level it's tribal it's yeah. this is so every drum machine comes with 120 beats per minute built into the drum machine everyone which i always thought was weird but then that's every house that disco heart? edm what's it's heartbeat? the heartbeat yeah it's about that so every human being resonates i'm pounding right. the table right now at about what's the first thing you hear it. as a fetus you're hearing exactly. your mother's heartbeat you so know? it's tribal it's maternal yeah. it's 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 life is biological so that's yeah. why edm music is so big because there's genres under edm that i still don't understand the difference between progressive house and techno and e there's so many genres under it just like rock like classic rock psychedelic rock edm has all these subgenres that are all basically the same thing they're the same four on the floor and madonna's whole career was four on the floor every song maybe James except the one ballad um it's a formula that just works, and that's why 1980, my song, was the hit, because it was the only song on the album that was boom, 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 right. boom. It appeals to the most people. And there's a formula that Dr. Luke, who's a huge music producer that I worked with in the past, who's done, you know, I Kissed a Girl and, and um, Kesha hit, all these big hits. He told me he knows the formula. It's a magic. It's a formula to making hit music, and he wouldn't tell it to me, because he's like, oh, it's a secret, fuck you. But... I know the secret and there's a mathematical formula that isn't 120 that you could make that the masses will sing along with. 
Wow, interesting. I wonder how it affects our heart rate. Oh, he didn't really that say would be so you. interesting to see. You know, I've, I've been to EDM shows where all wait for the drop. Whoa, 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 whoa. And to see what would happen to everyone's heartbeats and their dopamine receptors when that drop happens. Yeah, and and going back to the civil disobedience aspect of it, do you guys uh, know? You guys ever see the documentary "Searching for Sugar Man"? No, oh, man, one Fantastic. of the best fucking movies ever, man. I mean, talk about uh, this. I mean, I, I won't tell a super long story, but it's this guy named Rodrigo Sugar Man. Tweaker Rodrigo. Tweaker Rodrigo. <laughs> and uh, this one, South Africa had an embargo on it, um, so they didn't have a lot of media coming in and out. This guy's song becomes the major hit of South Africa when apartheid is ending. It is their theme song. But Rodrigo, he has no idea. Because no computers back no then. No computers back then. So this journalist goes back and he finds Rodrigo. He's working at a construction site. He says, you know that you're the most popular artist in South Africa. And they fly him into South Africa. And he plays this arena. Three and nights in a row sold yeah. out. And then I don't. Obviously, I'm not going to say what happens next. Go see the movie. Yeah, because the ending movie. is fucking even more incredible than that. I thought that would be the ending, but then, yeah. Um, going backwards a little bit. Think about the climax of a movie or a song. It is sex. You're fucking. You're fucking. Your heart rate speeds up. It's like mm. the the drop. Uh, it's like uh, it's like fucking. Like the climax of a movie and a song. Build up. Build up. Build up. Build up. Mm. You know, it's like you go over the hump, yeah. so yeah. to speak. I'm going to go pee except while you guys most movies last break longer than two minutes. <laughs> <laughs> it's like That's a, why I always listen to Bohemian Rhapsody. <laughs> Bohemian Rhapsody. Is that your go-to sex song? Yeah. Yeah, there's that build-up. You know, I, I watched another great HBO documentary recently called Momentum Generation, and it's all about this era in surfing throughout the 90s where, you know, all these surfers are now known as the best in the world, Kelly Slater, Shane Dorian, and, and it's all through the lens of this guy Taylor Steele who got these guys together and made films about their careers. And at this time, you know, it was only VHS um, videos. It was the only real media coming out about surfing. And uh, he had this epiphany where he said punk rock and surfing go together really well. So he started putting Pennywise, Unwritten Law, all these punk rock bands in surf videos. And they have an interview with the lead singer of Pennywise saying, Taylor Steele's surf movies were the biggest thing that ever happened to our band. Because all of a sudden we had fans. And all of a sudden they mm. were they, they had this surfer base following them around to shows. So it, the, the crossover between action sports and punk rock, you know, different sports and culture and music is always interesting to look at. Mm. Yeah, I never liked the Beach Boys because they represented a kind of America that I felt was shallow and like, you know, sort of beach L.A., Look at me, look at my pecs, look at my tits, look at my fake tits. That that whole fake-ass world of L.A. just always struck me. I, I just hated it. Didn't I, the I Beatles hear it. that album and say, yeah. we need to go back to the drawing board and, they and make it, it sound? Well, pet, right. pet, pet Shop or Pet Sounds or something? Yeah. Right. I mean, it's one of the, the most respected albums ever by musicians. But I never, I, you the know, Beach yeah. Boys, the be that particular song, I think it's called Pet Sounds. One, it's their first one, and yeah, and the Beatles heard that and they're like, Oh my god, we need to like do harmonies and change this around. And like, they were really, uh, they, they made it them a listenable lot. for you. Did you like that Beatles turn? 
I, for me, yeah, I, I don't like early Beatles very much. I mean, it, Yesterday's a Beautiful Song, but like, you know, Baby, You Can Drive My Car and I Want to Hold Your Hand. Back and in all the that. USSR. Yeah, like teeny, that well, that's good. That's later, I think. That's right. more like 66 or something. So you um, knew that year? When they, well, I'm guessing. Oh, totally okay. guessing. Uh, but when they started doing psychedelics, that's when I started yeah, getting baby, into them. Yeah, baby, psychedelics. Yeah. Grow your hair out ah. until the war stops. Yeah. Yeah. Do we have an artist like that, like a John Lennon, you know, anti-establishment, anti-war? John Legend is close, like verbally. <laughs> <laughs> and they're definitely sure. I mean, like uh, the John, uh, what's his name? The the guy who sang uh, "Treat Your Mama," the Australian dude. We want to get to the motherfucker awards. Uh, John Hunter Trio or John something Trio, I forget. Anyway, but there are, there are artists who are like super anti-establishment, but I don't think they have the kind of leverage and audience that the obviously that the Beatles had. Yeah, because it was a different world, right? I mean, there were three TV channels, there were a few record companies. There, there wasn't the kind of choice there is now, and also rock and roll was new. Rock and roll itself was revolutionary. You know, so to have a voice within a revolutionary art form that's also calling for revolution is sort of yeah, turbocharged. It seems that now more comedians are those voices of real anti-establishment, kind of galvanizing people with new ideas. And I don't know, may maybe our culture has become so disenchanted, you know, we've become so atomized with our own phones. Like, could you get a 60s movement again? What would it take? to make that I feel like happen. it's happening you don't feel like we're in the midst of a resurgence of like alternative thinking uh, disrespect for the institutions of western culture I do the podcast yeah. community uh, yeah. yeah not yeah. to and pat comedy, ourselves on say. the back yeah. but yeah I do think that a lot of the most bold ideas are coming out on podcasts because people feel feel a freedom to say what they really think because you develop a friendship with a lot of your listeners they, they're not going to take shit out of context the same way that it's taken out of context on TV interviews where you have five minutes and mm. all of a sudden people are like oh that guy's an asshole he didn't he, he didn't back it up but people who listen to your podcast Chris your Simon they know that you're a good person so if you say something most likely they're going to be on your team and it gives you the yeah. freedom to work shit out in real time and you have a longer term relationship with them people don't just drop in for f part of one episode and then disappear forever Gen I mean they might um, but it's not like in my case they will it, yeah <laughs> but it's not like scan and TV where you're like you see some show you don't even know what it is and oh well, you have to intentionally go to a podcast you know i think people are getting smarter through the internet and podcasts i think more people are becoming open that weren't before i gotta say i think joe rogan is changing a lot of people's tune and people that go on his podcast that's how i found you and interesting people come on and it spreads like a virus of this information that oh yeah you know and it opens some yeah. eyes it's no, interesting it's to see well, it, it's ex true. it exercises a part of the brain that uh allows for nuance to happen too it's not one or the other you know and, and yeah. to be able to see both perspectives is is yeah. really important but i mean are we protesting in mass in the way that we were in the 60s I, I don't know about the protesting but i think people are opting out i think that's what i would say and and i you know to be fair i don't think it's all podcasts that are doing it. i think it's the internet itself that right. people can find whatever they want to know about really easily and so alternative approaches to life uh become apparent if you look for them and i think a lot of people are 
discontented enough that they're starting to look for alternatives. So you get tiny houses, you get permaculture, RVs, you, you get yeah, you get van life, you get uh, digital nomads. The American dream's a fucking nightmare. Yeah, I That's, learned it firsthand. I bought the house. I did. I did it. I fucking you did made it. it. And and it's not. I don't know. I, it's all bullshit. I think. Take it from dirt nasty. But boys I didn't and girls. really have the nine to five. I had very. But that you success. made it even more. I mean, that's the thing. You made it. You had not only the money and the house and the girls and you had the fame. You had the attention. I mean, you had all that shit. It's, yeah, it's not as cra- it's like Jim Carrey, what he's doing right now, or uh, Russell Brand. You right, see these guys right. that are at the top, and they said the view ain't so good. And right. most people are like, what? That's what you got? I don't know, but there's something else you, out there. Do you have a moment? Like a lot of famous people have that moment of disenchantment. Hmm. Like Dave Chappelle when he got that giant check and he heard people laughing at, heard them laughing with the racism, not at it. You remember, like yeah, he remember talks about that. that, where he heard there was a meanness in the laughter that he heard, and he walked away. Anyway, do you have a moment? I don't know if I have that moment. Like you asked yesterday, what was that moment, or today when you said, "When did you become famous?" How did I, I said overnight when I worked at MTV? It was overnight. I was on everyone's TV every day. And you got the MTV gig through yeah, modeling. Yeah, I was uh, working in New York as a model, and and there was an empty slot for a there was a male supermodel named Marcus Shankenberg who if you'll remember the actual movie Zoolander was based on him uh. and uh and another guy combined and i was at the same agency he was and he had to go do an interview on mtv and he couldn't go to the rehearsal for the interview so my agent being savvy said send simon he'll probably get a job out of this knowing i was a little smart ass so i went to the rehearsal with kennedy who was a big vj at the time and me and kennedy sparks flew and we were fucking with each other and the producer i give this guy a show so i just right place right time Mm. And Kennedy I and ha- I have the song. What's the cover? I know karate. No, she's not a I singer. Know. She's oh, now a, never mind. She's a, was a big VJ with the big curly hair and the glasses. Now she's like a Republican broadcaster of so, so, something like that. But anyway, that's how that happened. And overnight. But as far as me, I think it was gradual for me to realize, oh, this is bullshit. I don't think it was one event. How'd you get into modeling? I had a girlfriend who was trying to be a model and. I was driving her to her auditions and I was sitting with her two-year-old son on my lap when I was 18 and she was like 24 in LA, 93, sitting with her son on my lap and she took her to a casting and she had a scar on her face because she had a cesarean birth, which I thought was even hotter, but back then before computers Mm. could buff it out, she wouldn't get any work because she had this scar on her face, but that's what made her so hot. Wait, a cesarean birth? Yeah, she was born and they cut her face when she was born. Oh, wow. So she had this little scar right here, but that was so hot and she was beautiful, Mm. but she never got work because, oh, you got a scar on her face and she'd come out crying and I'm like, Mm. I don't know what to tell you. I just come from working at a potato sack factory in Oakland and, uh, you know, a month before. So I'm driving her auditions, I'm new to LA, one day I'm sitting with her kid on my lap and the casting agent came out and said, uh, who's he? And she's like, oh, that's just my boyfriend. He's just driving me here. They said, come in the room. I got the job as the guy. I was off to Milan. I took her dream. I didn't even want it. I'm just very good at jumping through open windows when I see them and not fucking that up. Typical Rick. There's typical Rick. That's typical based on Rick where that happens, shit. right? Yeah. So, yeah, that was my fortuitous entrance and then everything else sort of and the same thing with music i would never want to do music but i had so much downtime i started making beats and hooked up with mickey avalon and 
all right, let's fucking have fun and fuck around and see what happens. And it just happened. It was never like, we're going to go make it as rappers. I'm going to make it as a model. I'm going to make it as a host on MTV. None of that shit. I never was delusional. It just happened. Were you doing runway work? Yeah, I was. I was living in Italy, Paris, and New York doing right. runway work right. as if fucking I should have been in college. Instead, I'm off in Europe having the time of my life. So how did you feel about that? You're having a good time. You're yeah. getting laid. There's lots of coke or whatever. Yeah. What, did you feel because, I, you know, I lived with models for years in this house and had a lot of friends right. who were in that world. Right. I, I sense that a lot of the men, especially the smarter men, felt a little emasculated. Oh, yeah, for it. sure. It was definitely it was one of the only things that and this isn't fair where women make more money than men. And you felt like a prop to the women, which, right. uh, to be honest with you, I didn't give a fuck because it's not like I was like, I got to be a successful, good model. I didn't give a fuck. I was just happy to be there. Right. I was just happy to be in Europe. Instead of going to school, I was in Europe learning about life, you know, f surviving with a map in my hand, like, here, go to Milan. Like, where the fuck do I go? Figuring out Paris as a 19-year-old, right. figuring out New York City and just surviving. It was amazing life lessons. But then I never had the scholastic education that I should have had, but I had the life lessons that I should have had. And I got to have the best time of my life. So it was the fuck. I wouldn't trade it for anything. It was amazing. Do but yeah, like, I did feel like, yeah, this this is lame. I don't I don't feel yeah, like a man right. being a prop. And remember in Paris, and you're getting paid say, to be pretty. Yeah, it's it kind of weird. I didn't feel like a dude. Yeah. And it would say mannequin in Paris. Yeah. The sign mannequin. I never forget. I went to a casting and it said mannequin arrow. I'm like, dude, I'm just a fucking mannequin. Yeah. You're walking down the runway and then all these people are thinking it's about them. Dude, you're a coat hanger. Right. But that's okay. I didn't care. I wasn't right. trying to. It was, you know. Yeah. When, when did your relationship with stuff change? With what stuff? Stuff like like you're on this track, you're accumulating stuff. You have this big house. Everyone around you is accumulating a lot of stuff, and you think that's the way to go. Whereas you've made this shift where now you have a van. You're very minimalist. Yeah. You're very particular about what you say yes to and what you let into your life. I think it was seeing my other friends around me more recently in the last few years in LA collecting toys and being miserable. It wasn't even me. Uh, I, at the time when I lived in Europe, I was struggling, dude. I was living in a apartment with two other dudes. We're chipping in, but this was before the Euro. We're chipping in Lira and Franks for bread and wine and eating bread and wine t t for a meal because you weren't we, making good money. Nope. Hmm. Not initially. And then by the time I got to New York, I started working and doing like a Tommy Hilfiger campaign and a Levi's campaign. I then it started working. You catch a little heat and then you're, you're the it guy and your agents are like, Oh, we got this guy's hot right now. And it's a little flash in the pan. And I had that little moment and that's when it parlayed into MTV. So it was just all just happened. There was no, you know, I'm lucky. I, I'm the luckiest dude in the world, I think, because you asked the other day, what's that sweet spot where you have not enough money or you have mm. just the right amount of money or not too much? I feel like I'm in it right now. I got an apartment on the beach. I got an RV. I eat whatever I want. I travel. I don't need anything more than that. I want. Do you feel the same way about the level of fame that you have? Yeah, I don't want to be too famous. I, don't, I think or it sucks. It, or I, I can still go out. Maybe once, once this trip, someone's like, hey, you're the guy. Yeah. From, who gives a fuck? Well, sometimes I feel like you have a little more fame than you would like. Uh, you get a little like, because also you yeah. don't. You, it's not your personality. You don't, don't really like the attention. I don't mind making their day if I could put a smile on someone's face and take a picture with them. Great. I just don't like all the attention that it draws, yeah. and then people treat you different. I've seen you in parties and shit where people recognize you. It makes it's you weird. uncomfortable. It's fake. You yeah. know they don't. Well, here's the here, even weirder one. They'll be like, "Hey, where do I know you from?" And then you're sitting there like, uh, "What? What? What do they possibly?" Know? And then you're already you're like, "I'm that famous guy." They're like, "No, I went to high school with you. You're an asshole." Yeah. 
yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, you fucked my girlfriend. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's just a weird thing. Fame's yeah. a weird thing. Fame is a mask that eats away at the soul. Do you feel like the only like the famous people who have been able to not go insane use that energy and 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 kind of move it through them on behalf of like a larger cause? Like I sometimes I don't know Leonardo DiCaprio, but I sometimes feel like his environmentalism is a cognitive technique to not go insane. Like he has so much energy coming at him, he needs to feel like a conduit and have it move through him on behalf of something maybe bigger. or maybe he's just a good dude i kind of know him like mm. i've known him over the years and see him out and hang out with them you know let me come sit at his table or talk to me and he's actually a really cool down-to-earth guy considering his level of fame he handles it pretty well although he does enter every place with a hood over his head and a hat because he doesn't want the attention either i mean he's on another level that's he's the biggest movie star in the world maybe i mean that's crazy he can't go anywhere in the world um i i think he's a good dude I really do. I think he's a good guy that's probably like, dude, I got all this shit. Let me do something, give something back. This is, I, I feel guilty. This is too good. Like, yeah. I might be that way too if I had all of that. I'd give a lot more. And that, that I think, is, is a tonic to the ego. It, like, what does a tonic mean? It keeps you healthy, makes uh, you healthy. Yeah, right? I knew that. I was just saying if you knew. Yeah, I knew. <laughs> yeah. Gin, uh, that's why uh, gin tonic. and tonics uh, are so. Two words. Oh. Uh, tonic. Oh, it's a tonic. It's a French A U, autonic. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> how do you? I, I don't know. Oh, continue. Oh, it's a tonic. It's no, a tonic. No, I, yeah, it's, it's a, a tonic. Yeah, a okay, tonic. I thought that was yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. sorry. It, or you can also it can be an adjective. It has a tonic effect. Got, yeah, I get like it. Like it tones. I get it. You yeah. Know? Uh, yeah, I think I think a feeling of gratitude is essential to keeping your shit together, wherever yeah. you are. Yeah. But the more the luckier you are. Like you got to have that gratitude. Oh, you you got to know percent, you didn't earn that. Thousand percent. I'm always saying I'm so fucking lucky. I'm never. There was a time I think where I was feeling high and mighty and probably cocky in my twenties, but I ate the humble pie pretty quick because my it's always been up, down, up, down. You peaks, valleys. You you, you learn quick that it could be over like that and. You need to be okay with yourself in the absence yeah. of external attention. Well, I was becoming a proper cliche. I was becoming that dude in Hollywood. With the, I remember I, this was actually, you know what? This was my moment. Maybe this doesn't answer your question. But this is my moment when I realized, I remember once I was driving in my Porsche convertible down Wilshire Boulevard with my golf clubs in the back seat sticking out. And I pulled up in front of a bank on Wilshire that it was like a mirror window. And I saw myself in the reflection with a hangover. And I looked in the reflection, I said, oh my God, I'm that dude in the convertible hungover on a Wednesday with golf clubs in the back. <laughs> oh my Feeling God. Feeling shitty about life. Oh, and I went in and I traded my portion that moment for an Audi four-door sedan mm -hmm. and drove off like, with the golf clubs in the trunk where they're supposed to be. And I said, this is who I am, a four-door sedan, black Audi guy. Yeah, there like, it is. I knew there was a moment. Little did you know you were transitioning to a Prius. Dude, now I'm a Prius guy. <laughs> now I'm a Prius RV guy. Yeah. yeah, I had all. I had the Porsche, I had the Cadillac, I had all that shit. It, it, yeah, it's I had a, in L.A. You just need a Prius. You got to get A to B. It doesn't yeah. matter. And the RV is the is is a material object, but that's freedom. It's something else going on with that. Well, it's it's, not it's, just, it's a tool 
to the best tool yeah. for a happy life. I had a guy named Peter Atia on my podcast recently. He's an expert in longevity and super successful, hangs out with you know the biggest people in the world. And he was telling me the story about visiting a prison this last year. And uh, in the prison, you play this game or it's an exercise with the prisoners called Step to the Line. So there's a moderator and they say, Step to the Line if you grew up with uh, f- more than four books in your house. You know, 90% of the visitors will step forward. Maybe one of the prisoners will. Step to the Line if you witnessed a violent death before the age of six most of the prisoners will step forward none of the visitors will step forward and it's this it's this game to show you that your circumstances your your luck in life is largely based off of circumstance and i asked him like why do you do that is that altruism like and he says it's serious it's a coping mechanism to lead a happier life when i move outside of myself and and become more curious about the world exercise the muscle of empathy it's purely self-serving yeah if you're depressed the this is clinically demonstrated the best thing you can do to get out of depression is go and help people you told me that when i was down and out once and i did and it worked Hmm. you're absolutely right yeah that's why the man downstairs right now lives it justin yeah he lives helping other people yeah it's crazy although i i worry about about Justin and people doing he's a fireman and like he's the guy who pulls people out of auto crashes and I mean at a certain point I think it's too much you yeah know, you know and also what they do to the sleep of firemen like they don't let them sleep you would healthily. think of anything they would need the best sleep they do they yeah. need it the firemen I think he told me like they die 10 years younger on average than everyone else you know, and in some cases, I'm sure Distress. it's because they breathe shit that they shouldn't be breathing. Right. But also, the yeah, trauma. stress, sleep disruption, uh, anxiety. I mean, they see shit that nobody should Dude, have to see. I can't, I'm, I can't even imagine. Thank you to him. Yeah, and everyone doing that Yeah, work. and everyone and, doing and that. Doctors, doctors and, and ambulance drivers. I mean, people cleaning up the messes that we never look at. They you need know? to have an award ceremony for doctors, firemen, police psycho like that would be cool too kind of like the motherfucker awards where you, and this year's fireman of the year goes to for something like that would be really cool because what the fuck yeah. we just watch all these awards which is the i guess the yeah. premise to why you guys did the motherfucker awards and included me yeah. was because well maybe, maybe this will be a, a link to both but i think that the asking yourself the question what are, what are you willing to die for is important and most people don't ask themselves that question and firefighters are engaged on such a visceral level with that moment so often they're pulling someone off of a burning vehicle to die for or to risk your life for to risk your life for yeah, yeah i guess well, it's the same thing kind of the question well is it because when i hear are you, are you right. willing to die for it that means but willing knowing to you're die, gonna die i guess or are you gonna stand up for that right. would you be willing to risk your life for a movement yeah i mean it depends on what the risk is right one percent fifty percent you know i often think like french resistance in world war ii you know, those guys going out at night and you know, guiding Jews toward Spain to get them away from the, the Germans and, you know, driving back roads in France. And if, a yeah. fucking, if they get intercepted by some Nazis, they're all shot right there like that. Are you willing to do that? Fuck. Hiding Jews in your house when the Nazis are looking for them. I mean, that that to me, that's. That's different from, you know, I don't know. I don't know what's going on today that's like that. I mean, there yeah. are, 
there are definitely things that are horrible that are happening today, but how do you risk your life to save the Amazon? You know, I, I don't know how to do it. Go do ayahuasca every day. <laughs> risk your sanity. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's not, there, there's a, almost a luxury in the clarity of a war like that. I feel like we live in the best, best window of time. I wasn't even ever going to get drafted into a war. Mm. The technology is at this point in the middle where it's going to get too fucked up in 10, 15 years that it's going to have everyone really fucked. We're just seeing the beginning of it now. There's this little sweet spot that I got to live in between the 80s, 90s, 2000s. And now this was like the perfect window to have. My buddy was saying that the other day. We were at Coachella running around. My buddy's like, we're so fucking lucky. We're just there's real shit that's going on. We're just hanging out at a Our biggest problem is our, we're waiting 10 minutes for our Uber to go to this party. Like, you fucking kidding me? And mind you, that's what makes my friend happy is just partying and hanging out. Depends what you like. But mm. the safety and the luxury and, the, and the, the privilege that we have is just so easy. But isn't it isn't there a pain and like a suffering around knowing that we're partying on this sinking ship? Yeah, I have that, which is why I don't do it as much anymore. Yeah. I feel that. I went to Nicaragua this last year. Party, on partying a on the surf sinking trip. ship. That's a great visual. I was on a surf trip for a bachelor party, and Nicaragua was going through a <laughs> civil yeah, war yeah. right now. We landed, we got into this big van, and we were driving through the streets of Managua, and there were 16-year-old kids with bandanas over their faces and rifles, and there was you know, these big rocks that they were getting ready to throw at the police that were coming and we just skirt on through and then go to our little beach house and get barreled for the next five days and it felt weird there was a mental schism at play and i i do think that there is a certain amount of suffering that ensues when you are not exposing yourself to the realities of the world i felt that in brazil africa uh the philippines manila fucked me up walking through manila holy shit the misery on every corner and the the, the poverty and the it, it was alarming. I fe- and I'd go into my hotel and there's this endless buffet of food and right outside was starving children crying, pulling on people in the street and I wasn't allowed to bring food out to them. Yeah. And I felt so bad I couldn't even walk outside. I was like, this is fucked up. Yeah. So I don't think I see it as much in L.A. You might drive by a tent and feel it or a construction site and be like, I could be them, but. It, when you get out in the real world, dude, yeah. holy shit, and some third world shit, fucks me up. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I was thinking, you know, that's always been there, right? The sort of the disparity of first world, third world poverty and all that. Um, but I was thinking, I, I think about this a lot, how kids coming up now, first of all, their world is so shaped by technology, right? Like you were saying, like we lived in that bubble where we learned about sex before the internet. So we didn't grow up watching gangbangs on Pornhub, you know? What's it like when you're I used 11? to have to rub it out to my imagination. Yeah, I remember those remember days. those days? Can't do that no more. I used to use your imagination, too. Oh, it's wow. really it's hot, man. Yeah. Um, but in magazines and stuff, you know? Um, I know part of that could we'll just be... We'll do the imagining for you now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's nothing you to You don't imagine. need to create the world out of this Sears catalog. Whatever you think you could imagine, you know, just was type just it into the fucking search, right? But also, uh, knowing... You know, if, if you're 15 years old and you're, you're, like, smart and you're starting to really pay attention and, like, okay, here's the world that I'm going to live in. Fuck! The shit is hitting the fan right yeah, now. right now. It's already hitting the fan. They're saying... 
you know, five degree Celsius difference in the next 20 or 30 years. That's my life. I'm going to have to deal with it. I mean, I are are young people feeling a panic or I think is this there is normal to them? I don't know. If that's they what are. I was going to say. They Can don't have anything to compare it to. I think yeah. we are the last ones to say, hey, this is what it was like before. This is fucked up. Yeah. At least I, in my generation, right well, down the, the line, half my life, no cell phones, Internet, social media, yeah. right down the line, half my life. Well, the news also cries wolf so often that it's really difficult to know what's right. real and what's not. You know, it, there's yeah, but climate change. Yeah, I but mean, climate change, it's so slow moving. It doesn't. Um, it doesn't move to the same beat of our lives. It still feels far off. It feels slow. It's not like a bear in your kitchen that all of a sudden is going to induce this kind of panic. And I think yeah. that that's the real issue with getting people on board environmental issues. I mean, that's why we one of the reasons for the Motherfucker Awards yeah. was to flip it and turn, turn it into comedy and make it personal yeah. and have a laugh at the end of it. Yeah, I, I don't know what the solution is, but I love that quote, the Joseph Campbell quote, participate joyly participate joyfully in the sorrows of the world yeah you you attribute that to joseph campbell did you read that yeah because i've been quoting it for years i thought it was choyum trungpa he probably took it from him because choyum trungpa was before joseph campbell and i said it with a flair that was good <laughs> yeah, was i don't even flare. know who that guy is yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just say it confidently 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 yeah he was a tibetan buddhist um, yeah, I thought I read that in uh, Shambhala, the path of the sacred warrior or something years ago, but it I could be Joseph Campbell yeah. as well. I mean, it's something so, that I deal with a lot, though, growing up, uh, knowing a lot of environmentalists who are old and gray now and have dead eyes. Yeah. There's a certain just flair that went out from yeah. going after it again and again and again and losing. And yeah. I have... As David Brower said, every win is temporary and every loss is permanent. Mm. Right. In environmentalism. So, so I think that there, you know, we've talked a lot about balance in this podcast and to, to use your skills on behalf of something bigger in a way that gives you energy is a good little jujitsu move. And I felt that with the motherfucker awards. It was a shitload of work for us all to pull it off. For but you. there, but there was a, there was a, a magnet at the yeah. end of it. You know, there, yeah. it was it was pulling towards something because, you know, we were talking about Purdue Pharmaceutical and the opioid epidemic, one of the most tragic subjects in the world right now. And we were f figuring out taglines and punchlines to, to make it funny at the end of it. And that's a real special thing to be able to do. Dark humor is one of the greatest things human beings do when you think about it. You know, we're the only species that laughs at ideas monkeys laugh monkeys laugh at goofy shit if some you know you rub shit in some, someone's face or whatever like slapstick sort right. of but f i think we must be the only species that laughs at tragedy even our own we laugh at our own mortality there was a line in this kids movie that i did and it was i i, I feel if i don't laugh i'll cry yeah i don't know if that's taken from something but i'm like that's a very jewish way of looking at it like you gotta laugh at this shit man because right. if i really think about it i'll go fucking nuts yeah if you think about it it's it's like the it's the only gesture toward sort of dignity that there is like, yeah, I know, I'm going to go down. I know, but I'm going to go down laughing. So. It's like the lady that Fuck pulled it. up pulling her hair out. Yeah, had to laugh. Well, not that I'd cry at that, but you, you got to laugh in the face of adversity. There's something really profound when you have the insight that you have the choice 
to decide how you want to respond to a situation. Yeah, that's it. The empowerment that's, of that's your, it, I'm right? And this is what we were talking about with the fight. You know, it, it, when you decide <clears throat> that you have a choice, then all of a sudden the world opens up. And when you decide that you can actually laugh at a tragedy, that's a beautiful moment. I, it's going to be hard to to shoot a pig that's laughing today if if. We come up on a big boar and he's got a smile on his face. Are you going to pull that trigger? Not a chance. No. No. I shot one, one bullet us. this trip, guys, and I think uh, I think I might that might be good. I just don't like guns. I got the bullets in my car. We're holding them. I'm yeah. not a fucking. I'm not yeah. that guy. Look, not like not you said guy. the other day, you're like, yeah. well, well, the best ways to find out who you are is to find out who you're not. And I don't think I'm a gun guy. Yeah. I could be an occasional hunter to connect to the process because I eat meat and I don't want to be a hypocrite, but. It's fuck, man. It's intense. I'll be honest. Hunting out there is. It's, I was going through some weird shit. It's almost psychedelic or some weird spiritual thing that happens out there. You're like, what yeah. the fuck is? You think your nausea yesterday was related to not wanting to do it? No, it's not. I it ate some poke. bad fish. Yeah. I ate a bad poke bowl. It yeah. was very chemical. It yeah. wasn't mental. Yeah, I I shot a pig. I, I, the maybe first if I did, day. I didn't know, but uh, yeah, could be with a bow, and it was a baby. I didn't realize it was a baby at the time. Yeah. <laughs> I think you see, you got to laugh. Don't laugh. No, you're, no you're do horrible. laugh. Laugh in the face of the regalia. <laughs> I shot laugh a baby. Laugh in the face baby. of the regalia. I shot baby a baby. Uh, I don't know. Like, I, I, I don't know if I'll shoot another one today. I won't shoot a baby. I had a chance to shoot lots of babies yesterday. I let them all go. But if there's a big one, I might. It'll be a decision I'll make in the moment. In the moment. There we go. That's yeah. it. Yeah. It feels like a good place to wrap it up. Let's wrap it up, boys. Yeah. We got to go put on our little hunting outfits like a dance troupe. Mm. Yesterday, we went into that uh, place to get smoothies, and the woman said, so how many of you are there walking around dressed like this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Although, Dive headfirst into our fragile masculinity. Although I'll say I sent some pictures of us all in camo to some women that we know, and they, they seem to all be turned on by it. Yeah, so I did the same. There's something elemental about men in camo. I don't know what it is. Yeah, out there hunting and providing. Is that it? Yeah. I, I love it, man. I mean, it, it's not fun for me to kill an animal, but to walk around for five or six hours in nature as quietly as possible to get that um, benefit at the end of, of being able to bring meat home and then share it with friends and family has has just made my life so much better. The mm. amount of, of dinners that I have now with friends and I invite them over and the feeling of giving <clears throat> meat away is one of the best. No, it agree. almost feels like that is as much a part of the hunt as being out in I the I totally field. agree with you. That does feel good. That was one of the best feelings I ever had is when I went boar hunting in Kauai years ago and all the kids started running around from the neighborhood and eating up and I, I provided that. I felt a surge through my body of, of something I've never felt before. Yeah. I'll tell you the best part about hunting is you get to choose your company. Here, here. Aww. All right, right. gentlemen. Yeah. Good luck out in the fields today. And uh, so thank you. I don't know. I'm not hosting this. Yeah, we're We're, we're going to share this one. Yeah, this is coming out on all. Chris Ryan, tangentially speaking. The Kyle Tierman Show. And Nervous Rex. There it is. Boom. All right, people. Thank you. That's our show. I'm going to play out the song called Yes Man by Sourgrass. If you are a musician and you want your music played at the end of the show, you can email it to info at kyle.surf. That's also where you can email those voice memos. Just let me know who you are, where you're listening from. If you have a question for me, uh, feel free to ask. 
you want to impart some wisdom on this community, you can do that as well. Just try and keep it under 90 seconds and email it to info at kyle.surf. Uh, got some good episodes coming for you soon. Going down to LA to record with a few of my favorite comedians. Looking forward to that. And uh, hope you're all doing well. Get out in the water if you can. Get into nature. Give someone a high five. Give them a compliment. The world needs more of it. If you can't make yourself feel good, make someone else feel good. And with that, I hope you enjoyed the song by Sourgrass called Yes Man. Just though you took some turns from where you started